Good morning. <laughs> just letting y'all listen to some nice music for a few minutes, you know. Right. Just a little spiritual moment to like get, you know, get right before Jesus. Definitely didn't was talking to someone. Okay. Um, all right. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Scanning the QR code located on the front of your worship guide allows you to connect to all the online information about our church. The giving of tithes and offerings along with our social media platforms all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu item for first-time guests. We'd love to connect with you. At the Village, we believe that giving of tithes and offerings offerings trouble with that okay is an act of worship you may give to the vision and mission of the church online or you may mail a check to our address 2103 virginia boulevard huntsville 25811 or after the service you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary all right your announcements today after the service is our calendar planning meeting you're on a ministry team and you don't know who your representative is, y'all should figure that out right now <laughs> and send someone to the calendar planning meeting. Um, on Tuesday, July 4th, the church office will be closed. Um, this coming Thursday, July 6th at 7 a.m. is the Shipman's Men's Group at Just Love Coffee. And at 5 p.m. is the Goodson's Men's Group in the church house. Uh, this Friday, July 7th at 6.30 a.m., Get up early. Whew. All right. Is the O'Neill Men's Group at Fritz Street at Panera. Um, Saturday, this coming Saturday, July 8th, is the Youth Lake Fun in Guntersville. And next Sunday, we have uh, worship with communion. Um, and the Goodson Village Group meets in the church house after the service. And there's leadership training next Sunday at 6 p.m. Um, this week, there will be no Women's Summer Social for the holiday. Um, but the following week, there will be on July 13th um, at 1 p.m. at Indian Creek Greenway, um, a walk led by Aaliyah, and you can bring your own lunch or a chair or whatever you want to do. Um, on Friday, July 21st, there will be lunch at Taco Mama at 11 to 12. And on July 26th, there on which is a Wednesday at 6 p.m., Grace and Susan will be hosting at Papo's Pizzeria. Uh, feel free to check the Sign Up Genius if you want to sign up to host one um, and respond to the flock note that comes out that week if you want to attend. You can check your flock note for more information about those things. So these are your announcements. Govern yourselves accordingly. take a few moments to individually just have a moment with the Lord before we just dive into the song. Just take a moment to be still before the Lord.
are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone. I can sing to you this song. I just want to say that I love you more than anything. I lift my hands in total adoration to you. You reign on the throne, for you are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone, and I can sing to you this song. I love you more than anything. Wrap me in your arms. You are my shelter from the storm. When all my friends were gone, you were right here all alone. I've never known a love
It's taken from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 23 and uh, 23 and 24. Please join with me where it says people. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Let us worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. Wonderful name of Jesus. 
name, we have the victory. Amen? But as our pastor would say, but do you believe it? Huh? Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord, saints. That's not everyone. Praise the Lord. That sounds like everybody. Amen. Even the kids. Giving unto God, to the minister on the roster, which is Marcus Nobles this morning, to each of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, let us go before the Lord in prayer and with a prayer of thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. For over a thousand years, Lord, your mercy has reigned upon us. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for, Lord, you caused the sun to shine. You caused the rain on yesterday. Lord, you caused the rainbow. Lord, you do those things that we have no power over. We wake up millions every morning. Some people think it's by chance, but Lord, it's because your grace and your mercy reign supreme. Lord, you control our temperature gauge, blood pressure right where it needs to be just for this morning. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord God, for our health and our strength. Thank you, Lord God, for you are a good God. Not because of what we have done, Lord, but Lord, because you are good. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for how you reign supreme over this earth, Lord God, when turmoil is happening everywhere. The world don't seem to know what direction it needs to go in, but Lord, you you remain the same. You're immutable, never changing. So we thank you, Lord God, that you are a rock. You you will hide us in the cleft of the rock, Lord. Lord, you thank you, Lord, that you give us peace. You are our refuge, our strong tower, our battle axe. Lord, everything we're not, you are. So we put our hope in you. We thank you. We put our trust in you. You thank you, Lord God, that we can go to you, Lord, on our own. The iron curtain is torn. We thank you, Lord God, that you sent your son to die for us, for our sins. That, Lord, they will remember no more as far as east from the west. Lord, we fall short. You still are gracious enough to forgive us if we confess. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this body of Christ that you've given us, Lord, to pour into. Thank you for this community you've given us to pour into. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit, Lord, to lead us into all truth. Thank you, Lord God, for the word that's going to come forth today with power. Thank you, Lord God, for Marcus Noah being humble, Lord God, that he would decrease, that you would increase in him, Lord, that he would speak boldly with much conviction. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here to visit today. Maybe I pray they didn't get what they need today. I pray that you will fill their cup, Lord, that you will fill their cup, Lord. And they walk out of here filled, Lord God, ready for to serve you, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord God, for all these things. I ask them in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Now we will have the confession of sin. Um, it's coming from Isaiah 64, 7b through 9a. It reads, For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. 
But now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the works of your hand. Be not so terrible angry, terribly angry, O oh Lord, and remember not our iniquities forever. This is where we take time to reflect on our sins and confess. As always, our Father always gives a way of escape. We have assurance of pardon. And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. All the promises of God found their yes in him. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for, for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Amen. Now we'll have, if you will stand for a scripture reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 16. And it reads, 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living in exile, dispersed abroad in Pontius, Galatia, I knew I messed that up, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last, I'm sorry, in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time it is necessary you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perish, I'm sorry, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you're not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with the inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things ha have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels alone catch a glimpse of these things. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you and the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. 
But as the one who called you is holy, you also ought to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Holy. I read to you chapter First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Amen. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I will wait on you. I will wait on you. I will trust. Trust in you. The Lord is my light and salvation. Who shall I fear? Who shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and salvation. Who shall I fear? Who shall I be afraid? I will wait on you. I will wait on you, I will trust in you, I will trust in you, I will remain confident in this, I will see the goodness of the Yeah. 
believe, help our unbelief. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. He's so good. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness and your mercies endure forever. I will Confident in this, I will see the goodness of the Lord. Oh, yeah. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of. He is your light and your salvation. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. He's the good shepherd. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. He's our refuge. I will remain confident in this I will see the goodness of the Lord oh I will remain confident in this I will see the goodness of the Lord hallelujah church he's good and his mercies endure forever Lord help our unbelief we believe, Lord. We know what your word says. We believe. Help our unbelief. Amen. Mic check. Can you guys hear me? Good. Amen. I love that song so much. Thank you so much, Patience, for always leading us into worship, into the feet of our Savior. Um, I can't think of a better place to be. So, folks, good morning. Good morning. Again, I'm Marcus Nobles. Um, I'm the RUF campus minister for Alabama A&M. Um, our pastor, Alex Shipman, is taking a well-deserved break. Amen. Um, so, for better or worse, you're stuck with me for the next two weeks. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be digging into 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to cover the whole chapter in these two weeks. This chunk of scripture is some of my favorite to preach. Um, and when I first started digging into this, it was um, a Bible study for my RUF A&M students. And these two sermons over the next two weeks is a compilation of all those Bible studies. And I think that makes some of the best preaching um, when it's been chewed over um, that much in Bible study. Really quick, before I dig into scripture, um, I want to give you guys a quick update about what's happening on campus at Alabama A&M with RUF. So when I first got there a couple years ago, as, as, as most of you uh, um, village family folks here remember, uh, we were starting from scratch, right? We had no students, we had no faculty, um, there was no RUF presence on that campus. Um, Amos Williams had done a great job in the, in the 
time of um, coronavirus, of trying to keep it to, together. But how do you do campus ministry when there's no campus, right? So when I got there and um, got started, we were starting from scratch. Um, we slowly and slowly built up. I say we, but it's just me. Um, and I started doing something pretty bold. I just set up a tent on in the middle of campus, and I just told students, hey, I'm Marcus. I'm your campus pastor. How can I pray for you? Without explaining to them what RUF is, without explaining what the PCA is, without trying to convince them of anything, I just set up a tent and told them, hey, I'm your campus pastor. How can I pray for you? Right? And I did that for a year and a half. I uh, plowed the concrete over and over until I was finally able to plant some seeds. And... Uh, something that we can plant our hope in is that we will see the goodness of God. Amen? And by his blessings, by the end of this past semester, we were having bi-weekly on-campus worship services every other Sunday evening with about 100 students showing up. So we went from nothing at all to 100 students showing up to worship God on campus. Like, how amazing is that? Let me tell you one quick story. Um, we just came back um, last month, yeah-ish, May, from summer conference. Um, RUF does a um, summer conference um, every year where students from all 158 campuses all come down to Laguna Beach. And um, it's a week for the students of worship and praise and Bible study and breakout sessions. And we're at the beach, so we have some fun. We build sand castles and, and splash in the water, right? I had a student, an, an exchange student from A&M's campus come. Um, we, we brought five students from, from Alabama A&M, which was a major incredible feat. Um, I don't think students from A&M have ever gone to summer camp, uh, conference. So to go from having no students two years ago to bringing five students to the summer conference was already a blessing in itself. I had one student who's a foreign exchange student from the country of Zambia in Africa. She had never seen the ocean. She had never seen the beach. and had never had seafood before. So imagine what it must feel like to be an African exchange student here in the state studying at, at Alabama and m and have, and have had never seen the ocean. Coming from a landlocked country, I've never seen the beach. And for her first experience of the beach to be um, Panama City, which is gorgeous, right? So when we showed up at the beach, her and I sat there for about 20 minutes just looking at the ocean. And she was almost in tears and just wept and said, I didn't know anything could be this big and beautiful. Right, And then at that very same moment, in that same breath, she exclaimed, I never knew God's hands could be so big. And she's a new believer, and I don't know if that was her first time really expressing belief in, in Christ, but by the end of that week, she was absolutely sold out. She was a believer, for sure. And it's beautiful that the work of RUF on the campus of Alabama A&M can in such a short time gather people together in such a way that they can experience the goodness of God in a way that is so big that it's overwhelming that we can sit and weep together at how big God's hands are. How good is he? So before we get into the scripture, let's pray. And then we're going to read, we're going to read a lot of scripture. Um, a old... Um, mentor of mine used to tell me, um, if you read a lot of scripture, you can't get in trouble, right? So since Alex isn't here, and since I'm in this pulpit for the next two weeks, we're just going to read a lot of scripture. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father God, we come to you humbly once again to say thank you 
Thank you for being our God, and thank you for choosing us to be your people. Father, help us to hear these words, your words, and help us to write them deeply on the tablets of our hearts so that when we hear them and we know them, that we can go forth, thank you, brother, that we can go forth and do your will, not our own. Father, help me to be poured out and to be filled up with you and with you alone, and help me to speak your words to your people. It's this in all things that in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So some commentaries and commentators call um, 1 Peter the, the Bible's handbook to suffering. And I think that's a very prominent thing for us to dig into because as Christians, as just people in a broken and fallen world, we're never far from suffering. Especially in the context of college students who um, I deal with all the time. Um, They're separated from home. They're in a far off place. They don't know where to go to worship. They don't know how to worship. And they're met with a constant hurdle of suffering. And I think that that's not just an expression for college students, but for us as well. We wake up every day, we go to our jobs, we suffer through life as it is. And sometimes the burden can feel so big and so heavy and so tiresome that it feels like we just can't figure out how to move forward. I think First Peter gives us some light in the darkness of our suffering. I like the title of this sermon, What Do We Do Now? How Do We Live in a Dark and Troubling World? And what we're going to look at is some things that are absolutely true, right? And then we're going to shift into looking at, from remembering these things that are true to thinking about some certain things and then doing some things because of that. And First Peter lays that out in a very, very simple way. I won't reread all of the text. We, we, we already read that. And it's a lot of scripture. Again, we're just going to read a lot of scripture, right? So First Peter gives us some light to the darkness in his letters here in the Bible. Um, and this letter is a letter of encouragement that is addressed to these elect exiles in the dispersion. In this area that is what's mo- now modern-day Turkey, this letter shows how early Christians encouraged one another when times got hard, when burdens seemed too heavy to bear. These exiles that he's writing to lived in a series of Roman provinces, uh, provinces that had been displaced. Um, um, and this letter presents itself as like a circular letter that would have traveled around to all of these small individual groups, all of these churches. Um, it doesn't address just one particular congregation, but it addresses everyone, which I think is great because it amazes me how even though these letters, um, these words, this text, this scripture is thousands of years old, it still fits us right now today. Isn't it amazing that God in his providence would leave behind words like this that would have circulated to different groups of people but express this thing that they all needed to hear? And even now today, it expresses the same, something that we all need to hear. So it begins with some things that are just unequivocally true. And then at verse 13, it shifts into telling us what to do with it. So let's look back at this text. Verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion, um, 
in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadonia, Asia, Delantia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter here starts by addressing this letter to these elect exiles. Church, here's something that's unequivocally true. You are God's elect exile. Did you know that? Did you know that even though you are exiled, God chose you. You are his elect. Amen? Don't make me bust the sign out. It's under here somewhere. Since you have been elected by God, you are hand chosen by him. In the words of our pastor, but do you believe it? John 15, 19 says it this way. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Church, sometimes life gets rough because the world will hate you. Why? Because God chose you out of the world. You are his, his elect exile. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, right? That, that there's nothing that this world can do to stop me from being chosen, hand-selected by God himself. Church, that's big. Amen? So at times you may feel exiled, but you are still elect. Amen? Verse 3. Here Peter tells us that God has given us a living hope. His son that died for us and was resurrected from death. Jesus is our living, risen Savior. Ah, church, how big is that? Here's something else that's unequivocally true. Not only are we hand chosen by God, but he loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. And not just die, but be resurrected on the third day so that we could have salvation. Church, that's true. But do you believe it? We have a living, risen hope in the Savior that's not dead, but is alive. Verse 4 and 5. He gives us this inheritance that will go on and on forever and is kept for us in heaven. Church, did you know You have an inheritance that the world didn't give and that the world cannot take away. It's stored up for you in heaven. (sighs) Why? Because God chose you out of the world and you're his elect exile. And because he loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to die for you. Now you have this inheritance that is stored up for you in heaven that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. (sighs) Ah. How great is that? Aren't you glad that that's so true? That the world can't touch that? I don't know about you, church, but that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. When things get tough, when things get hard, when life gets heavy, I know that I have an inheritance that's stored up for me in heaven. Verses 6 through 9. Even though we may suffer for a little while here on earth, it produces a strong faith. 
and allows us to always have joy and obtain salvation. Church, even if you suffer for a little while, the joy that we have as elect exiles whose Savior came to die for us, whose inheritance is stored up for us in heaven, that provides for us faith in something that the world can't touch. So we have access to this joy that's inexpressible to the rest of the world. That's how Peter puts it here. That the joy that we have is inexpressible to those who, who don't believe what we believe. Who can't hold on to the truth that we hold on to. I'm going to have to bust the amen sign out. But do you believe it? Spurgeon puts it this way. Even when the Christian is most distressed by various trials, what a mercy it is that he can know that he is still elect of God. Any man who is assured that God has foreknown before the foundation of the world can very well say, we rejoice greatly. We can rejoice in trials because our faith in Christ and the salvation that he brings provides an undercurrent of joy and great rejoicing that is always present. Church, we have access to joy that is always present. Even in the midst of our sufferings, we have access to joy that is always present. Why? Because we're his. He chose us out of the world. We're his elect exiles. Why? Because he loves us so much that he died for us. Why? Because we have an inheritance that's stored up for us in heaven. So we have something that is inexpressible to the rest of the world. Aren't you glad that's true? It's this faith that is a sure mark of eternal election. The genuineness of that tried and tested faith. If you have genuine faith, you have indefinitely more than he who has the whole world and is yet without faith. Look at verse 10, verse 10 through 12. Church, did you know that we have what the prophets proclaim? Did you know that we have what even angels long to see? Church, we have something that the prophets proclaimed and that even angels long to look for. This faith, this genuine tested faith in a living risen Savior that provides an inheritance that's stored up in heaven. Why? Because he chose us out of the world. Church, that's what the prophets proclaim. And that's what even angels look for. Did you know that you have something that even angels want? How big is that? And church, it's true. Unequivocally true. I don't know about you, but man, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, right? That I have something that even angels long to see and that the prophets proclaim. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with all that? all of that stuff that's true in those first 13 verses. How do we operate as Christians in a dark, trying, and troubled time? Here in verse 13, Peter tells us that because of, because of all those things that's true, now we have to change how we think. Right? 
Verse 13 starts with the word therefore. In seminary, when you start learning language, one of the first things that the professor tells you is, you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Right? They, they like hammered that into my head. So much so that like it shows up when I write sermons. Therefore, what's it there for? In this case, Peter's preparing to state some ethical implications that come from all of this doctrinal teaching in the first 12 verses. Because of all of those things that are unequivocally true, now do this. Because of these things that are true in these first 12 verses, therefore, do this. Change how you think. He tells us to prepare our mind for action. In the Greek, this word uh, means to gird up the loins of your mind. Anyone know what it means to gird up loins? Anybody? Kind of strange, right? Think way, 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 way back when men would wear tunics and um, togas. They'd have to lift them up so that they could use their legs, and they'd tie them tight around their waist, Right? This is an action word. Prepare for action. Don't stay how you used to be. Change something so that you're prepared for action. Right? I love that God says the same thing to Job. When God comes and meets Job, he says, gird, um, gird up your loins and prepare for action like a man. Yo, those fighting words. Step outside. Let's go. Right? Gird up your loins and prepare for action like a man. Here, Peter is telling us to bring under control all the loose-flowing thoughts that will slow our spiritual progress, to gird up the loins of our mind. So because of all those things that we know that are true, now change how we think. Gird up the loins of your mind. And then he says to be sober-minded. Here, that Greek word for sober doesn't just mean not to drink, but it means to think clearly, to have self-control, to be morally decisive. Without balance and full control of the mind, men are liable to reel back and forth between various intoxicating ideas about doctrine and conduct, and our subconscious mind affects our outward actions. One commentary puts it this way, the proper response to the grace of God is a disciplined self-control. Church, what's feeding your mind? This would always hit my college students here. What's feeding your mind? Is social media feeding your mind? TikTok feeding your mind? For all my college students, yes. Right? Is the news real what's feeding your mind? Is what comes on TV what's feeding your mind? Proverbs says it this way. As a man thinks, so he is. Then, Peter tells us to think hopefully. To set our hope fully on the grace that is being brought to us by Jesus Christ. Church, there is something that is coming that is greater than the struggle that we face today. Amen? And that thing is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Church, as Christians, we should set our hope on Jesus. What's your hope set on, church? Where have you placed your faith? Is it in this broken and fallen world? Or is it in this risen, living Savior who loves us so much that he chose to die for us, to give us this inheritance that's stored up for us in heaven? Where have we placed our faith? 
set it on the grace that is being brought to you and trust that without reserve that God is coming, that Jesus Christ is coming. Church, if you're confused on where to place your faith, place it on that. Place it on the fact that Jesus is coming for you, his elect exiles, the ones he chose. Amen? When I was first prepping this sermon, I was talking to my wife, Jessica, and she was reading through this, these verses with me, and she compared it to running a race. Anybody here ever ran a race, ever done track and field or cross country or something like that? When you prep for a race and you and and the gun fires and you take off halfway through the race, you don't start looking back, do you? No. Where do you look? Straight ahead towards the end. When you're running a race, you don't worry about the people that are behind you and trying to figure out who's catching up, right? Where do you look? Towards the finish line. You set all of your hope and all of your faith on the end, not what you've already uh, uh, overcome, right? Likewise, we as Christians should be placing our hope and our faith in Jesus, who at the end of it all is waiting to welcome us home and say, well done. We should be placing all of our faith in this living, risen Savior. Amen? If we're going to survive living in a dark world, we must prepare to run our race well and be sober-minded and set our hope fully on him. That was a lot for verse 13. Verse 14 through 16. So in those first 12 verses, some things that are absolutely true, verse 13, change what you think. Now verses 14 through 16, change what we do. Here Peter tells us to be holy. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't run the race looking backwards. Don't be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here, obedience and holiness are like two sides of the same coin. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. There's this striking similarity between the writing of Peter and Paul here that's unmistakable in this verse. Paul tells his readers, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. He says the exact same thing. Change what you think so that you can change what you do. This is an invitation to be better than the old you. It's an invitation to stop looking behind and to run your race with your faith and your hope set fully on the finish line. It's an invitation to change from the aspects of our former ignorance that tempt us into conformity and being worldly. Church here, obedience isn't this contractual thing, do or don't do so that you won't get in trouble. It's more of an image of our covenant with God. Do or don't do things because of whose you are. Here's the one thing that all of my RUS students hear me say all the time like a parent. Live your life in such a way that shows whose you are. Not just who you are, but whose you are. 
Because at the very at the very beginning of this scripture, we heard that we are his elect exiles, that he chose us, right? So we should live our life in such a way that shows whose we are. Obedience here is a picture of the goal of God's covenant to his people. All the way back to Moses leading people out of the um, leading the people out of Egypt in, in Exodus 19. We see that God provides salvation to the Israelites long before he gives them law. Long before the Ten Commandments even show up, God paints this beautiful prologue of redemption and reassurance of his promises. We should be holy. When people look at our life, at our words, at our actions, at how we live, they should think, that guy is somehow connected to God. I can see whose he is. John Owen puts it this way. Holiness is nothing but implanting, writing, and realizing the gospel in our souls. Story time. I look just like my dad. Any of you ever seen my dad before? Yeah, I'm a spitting image. I look just like him. I have three beautiful daughters. Folks, they look just like me. They look just like, like, as soon as you look at them, you're like, yep, that was it. So much so that when my first child was born and the doctor pulled her from, from the womb, she said it with, without even realizing it. Um, she said, oh, yeah, Dad, this one's yours. Right? From the moment she was born, she looked just like him. Right? And I looked just like my dad. It's interesting. Both of my parents graduated from Alabama A&M. So long before I got here, um, we had been coming up here to campus um, for years and years to football games. And when I first got to campus, um, there was an old faculty member who was here when, when my parents were students. And like I said, I would set up a tent on, on campus and just tell people, I'm Marcus, I'm your campus pastor, how can I pray for you? This faculty member walked by, and, and before I could say, I'm Marcus, he said, Nobles? Is that you? And he looked at me and knew exactly who knew exactly who I was because I looked just like my dad. There's no denying it. I, I, I look just like him. Right? Likewise, church, when people look at us, they should see our father. They should know exactly whose we are. Before we even say a word, they should know that somehow we're connected. We look just like our father. We look just like the one who chose us, who loved us enough to die for us, who loved us enough to set up an inheritance for us in heaven as the world translates. We should look just like him. And everything that we do, the way that we talk, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we treat strangers, we should look like our father. People should know exactly whose we are. Amen? God should be able to look down from heaven and say, that's my boy, look at him. He looks just like him. God should be able to look down from heaven and say, there's my girl. Look at her, she acts just like me. She treats people just like I do. He loves just like I love him. 
God should be able to smile on us just like we smile on our children. Amen? Like obedient children, we should be holy. Amen? Holiness is more like wholeness. Right? If we can pursue God and strive to be more holy, we will at the same time become more whole, more complete. Church, what if we stopped looking out to fill our empty places and started looking up? Started looking to be more like our Father. That's hard. That's really hard. It's really hard to be holy. It's really hard to be obedient. How many people here have kids? Right? It's hard for them to be obedient, isn't it? Hey, kids, how many of you in here have parents? It's hard to be obedient, isn't it? It's hard to be holy. In fact, I dare say it's impossible without Christ. It's impossible to be holy without Christ. It's impossible to be obedient without Christ. Holiness is the result of God's grace. I'm so glad for God's grace. Let me say that again. Holiness is the result of God's grace, not its cause. God shows us grace so that we can then be more holy. He doesn't ask us to be holy first and then get grace. I'm so glad that he does. Because if it was the other way around church, we'd never get it. Church, if it was the other way around, we would never be able to work hard enough to earn his grace. We would never be able to live right enough to deserve the free grace that he gives. We could never do enough to deserve the blood that he shed for us to pay the cost for our salvation. Holiness here is the result of his grace, not its cause. I'm almost done. Verse 15. In all your conduct. In all your conduct. If I say it three times, you'll remember it. In all of your conduct. In every department of your life. Let me tell you one last story. Jessica and I moved here from Mobile a few years ago. The thing I miss about Mobile the most is the beach, right? We were blessed. We just got to spend a month at the beach doing summer conference. And I told you that beautiful story about me and a student sitting at the beach. Um, My wife and I got married at the beach. Our first date was to the beach. Like, the beach holds a very special space in my heart. So much so that um, in living in Mobile, you have kind of unfettered access to the beach, right? If there's any college students in here, don't listen to this story and then do what I do, right? So as college students, we would just skip class on a Tuesday morning and go to the beach, right? Because it was 35 minutes away and it's gorgeous. Anybody ever been to uh, the Alabama Gulf Coast? Yeah? Anybody ever been to Orange Beach? It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like, I I think it's one of the most well-kept secrets. If 
if you want to see an even prettier beach, get to Gulf Shores, turn left, go towards Florida. Right before you hit the Florida state line, there's this little area called Perdido Key, right? And there's a public access beach right there to the right as soon as you cross the bridge. I know what I'm talking about. Because that was our spot, right? When we got married, we went to that spot. When we were dating, we went to that spot, right? So for about 10 years that we lived in Mobile, every time we went to the beach, we would go to the same spot. That was our spot, right? Like, I could have might as well put up a sign and put Marcus's Beach. Like, this was my spot, right? Yeah, hey. So a few years ago, we went back to our spot on the beach, and to our surprise, they had put up these toll booths. Where now, instead of just public access to the beach, you have to pay to park. You guys ever seen those before? How frustrating is that, right? Like, I didn't bring any cash with me. And this is my spot. I've been coming here for a decade. It's mine. Don't make me pay to come to my spot on the beach. I got married here. I I, I dated my wife here. This is my spot, right? So imagine my frustration when I show up, and it's gorgeous outside. It's beautiful. We've got all... All, all of our stuff with us, we're ready to tote out onto the beach and have a good time, and boom, there's a toll booth. And now you have to pay $5 to park on the beach, unless you're a resident and you live in Baldwin County, they give you a little decal, right? And when you get to the toll booth, they just click a button and they let you right in. Imagine my frustration when I get to my spot on the beach and I have to pay and somebody, some stranger who I don't know who's invading my spot shows up and gets in for free, right? So if you're a tourist, you have to pay. If you're a resident, you get in for free. Church, be careful that you don't make Jesus a tourist on your beach. Be careful not to put up a toll booth and charge Jesus to park on the beach of your soul. Church, make him a resident. Give him an all-access pass. In all of your conduct, in everything that you do, let Jesus in. Don't make him a tourist. Don't block his way to parking at the beach of your soul. Give him a decal. Let him in. Let him park there whenever he so chooses. Because guess what, church? It's actually his spot. It's actually his. So let him in in all of your conduct and everything that you do. Amen? Let me close with this. How do we live in a dark and troubling world? Come on, play, buddy. We remember these things. We remember who God is and who we belong to and whose we are. Amen? We remember that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? We remember that our inheritance is stored up for us in heaven and that the world didn't give it, so the world can't take it away. Amen? We remember that even if we suffer here on earth for a little while, our faith in our risen living Savior, Jesus Christ, gives us access to joy that is inexpressible to the rest of the world. 
And then we think about these things. We prepare our minds and gird up the loins of our mind. We be sober in our thinking, balanced and morally decisive. And we set our hope on Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And lastly, we do these things like obedient children. Don't be conformed to this world. We be holy. We look like Christ. And lastly, church, we let God into everything and all of our conduct and everything that we do. Amen? Church, remember this. No one handles darkness better than the creator of light. No one handles our darkness better than the one who created the light. Let God do what God does and let him into everything. Because church, he's good at what he does. And he's been doing it for a long time. He has a phenomenal track record of success. In fact, he hasn't failed yet. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you humbly once again to say thank you. Thank you for being our God and thank you for choosing us to be your people. Father, we constantly fall short. And it's hard. We never get it right. But Father, help us to let you into everything, into all of our conduct, into everything that we do. Help us, oh God, to look more like you, to be the image of our Father here on earth. And Father, as we progress and travel through this broken and fallen and sin-scarred world, help us to remember these words and these things that are unequivocally true for us, your elect exiles, whom you chose out of this earth, to whom an inheritance you stored up for in heaven. Father, help us to write those words deeply on the tablets of our hearts. It's this in all things that we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me for our closing song. May the peace of the Lord go with you. The peace of the Lord go with you. May the Spirit rest within you to comfort and be. To constantly remind you, you're a child of the King. May the peace of the Lord go with you, the peace of the